In recognition of June being PTSD Awareness Month, in this episode, we hear from a military vet about his experiences of PTSD and also how it shows up in his marriage and in their life together as a couple. I never, ever would have thought in my entire life that I would have taken my own life. Never. I would say, God, I just want this anxiety to go away. If something would happen to me, I just, it would go away. If, you know, I was crossing an intersection and I got crushed by a truck, it would just all go away. The pain would end. If I just didn't wake up, it would all go away. What those are is passive suicidal thoughts. Had I recognized these signs being passive suicidal thoughts years before, I would have gotten help a lot sooner. Tim Hilke is a 17-year disabled military veteran, and he served multiple combat tours in Afghanistan and in Iraq. He's also a suicide survivor. Tim and his wife have been married for 14 years, and they have three children. Tim was diagnosed with PTSD and cyclothymia, a mood disorder, and also he was diagnosed with anxiety. He spent a great deal of time getting help, seeking help, and learning to cope better and manage this illness. He's dedicated his time to helping others like him. I think that there's a lot of people that just don't talk about it uh, because they're ashamed, they're embarrassed, or, or they don't want people to think differently of them. And as a condition of us staying together, after I, I got out of the hospital, I had to... Uh, make a few promises and one that I was going to aggressively and actively seek professional help. Two was that I was going to seriously and sincerely work on uh, my coping skills and abilities. And then three was that I needed to explain to my entire family, my 10 and my 11 year old sons and my wife and my daughters, why I did what I did. And according to the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, between 11 and 20% of veterans who served in Iraq and Afghanistan have PTSD. PTSD can also happen to anyone, and it's not a sign of weakness. Post-traumatic stress disorder is a mental health condition, and it's caused by trauma. On average, about 8% of the U.S. population will have PTSD at some point in their lives. And that number is even higher, about 10%, for women. My name is Andy Horning, and this is Elephant Talk. It's a show about all things relationship, the soulful, the silly, and the sexy. What do you do to manage your anxiety? I first knew that I had an issue. I wasn't sure what that issue was in 2010 when I came back from Iraq. It increased in intensity. And so I pretty much suffered for six years in silence. I'm hiding it from pretty much everybody. A, because of the stigma in the military, I did not want to ruin my career. B, because I was afraid of what people would think of me or how they would treat me if they knew that I had a mental illness. And I still didn't really know what was going on. And then uh, I started seeking therapy in 2015 outside of the military system. I thought that I could handle the anxiety and the PTSD on my own. Uh, with the help of medication, I thought medication was enough. I felt like I was a horrible father, a horrible husband. And uh, one day, uh, something just, just triggered me very hard. The next thing I know, I woke up in the hospital, um, and apparently I attempted suicide. 
what I do now to manage my, my anxiety and any type of harmful thoughts, I wrote a journal when I was in the hospital and I listed every single traumatic event, no matter how significant or insignificant it may have been, how it made me feel today, uh, what it made me do and what could potentially trigger it. You have a journal, you list every single traumatic event. Is that in your military career? Uh, throughout, throughout my entire life. When you actually attempt or commit suicide and you survive, you gain a certain awareness. And it's a self-awareness as well as an awareness of, of, of life in general. And in my off time, I sat in my room and I wrote this journal because I wanted to get better and I wanted to figure out what was causing this and, and how I could recognize it and how I could overcome it. Um, because I didn't ever want to feel like a horrible husband. I didn't ever want to feel like a horrible father again. And over time, I've trained myself to recognize my triggers. And I know the root cause of of my anxiety is, and you have to forgive me, uh, the shaky voice. I'm <clears throat> having massive anxiety right now, but it's okay. What's it like for you to talk about it? Talking about it, writing about it, 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 it helps me to put it into a physical form, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. And then I get to I get to actually hear what's going on in my head, and then I get to rationalize it, and it helps. So I write a blog. I have received several, uh, several responses about how I've helped them or I've helped them understand what, you know, how to deal with their loved ones. I have had people reach out to me, and I've had several people tell me that I've pulled them off the ledge and that I've saved their lives. So knowing that I'm helping other people helps me, and it, it, it lets me know, and it lets everybody else know um, that we're not alone. We're not the only ones that's, that are suffering, um, and we don't have to go through this uh, by ourselves. What is it that you're doing that's helping people? A lot of people, they don't seek help because they're, they either don't know how or they're afraid of the stigma. Say, for example, the other day, uh, I saw just a random post on Twitter and it caught my attention. I knew this person right away was in crisis mode, so I sent, I sent this person just a direct message and said, hey, I can sense that there's something wrong. I can probably relate, and I would like to talk to you. They sent me a direct message back. We exchanged phone numbers. I told her my story, and halfway through my story, she just broke down and started crying. She said, you don't understand. You're the first person that's been able to articulate what's been going on in my head and it makes me feel better. And then she went and got help. And she called me up the next day and told me that, that, that I probably saved their life that day. Because wow. a lot of people are afraid to tell their stories. A lot of people don't want to deal with it. You know, they're afraid of that, of that monster we carry around inside of us. And, uh, and what's the here, monster saying? For everybody, it's different. Um, for me, it manifests itself. Physiologically, it feels like I have a million butterflies in my stomach. Um, I get this feeling as if something bad is going to happen. Sometimes I'll start to shiver. And as you can tell, uh, my voice is a little shaky right now. <laughs> when it gets really bad, I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience where I'm kind of looking from the outside in. And it's kind of like uh, you don't know what to focus on. You can't make a decision. You can't articulate thought to um, to 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 your to your words in your relationship how does that show up if i feel like i'm being overly criticized if i feel like um if i'm being 
uh, talked down to. Uh, if I'm uncertain of somebody's uh, view or opinion of me, that will trigger the effects of psychothymic disorder, which is ir irrational irritability, which then triggers um, the PTSD portion of it, which could be anger or rage or outbursts. And so from a family perspective, if I felt like my wife was saying something to me uh, that fit into one of those categories, we would argue. And we argued often. Um, it got vicious at times. I would snap at my children over little stupid things. I would get irrationally irritated with them over the, the smallest of things. I could be sitting at my computer and my children would say, hey, daddy, daddy, come here. Um, and I'd say, wait a, wait a minute, give me, give me a minute. And then they'd say it again. And I'd say, yeah, I said, give me a minute. And then it turned into me yelling at them. You know, all they wanted was my attention. They wanted me to see some great, grandiose uh, masterpiece they created in Minecraft, something like that. And here I am ignoring them or getting irritated with them. And then over time, you know, my wife, she would get frustrated because she didn't know how to help me. And it wasn't that we didn't love each other. You know, we, we fit each other well. She is the perfect woman for me and like my dream girl. And then when it came to my suicide, she was extremely angry, very angry with me that I would leave my wife, that I would leave my children and my friends behind, you know, by my own hands. And she didn't get it. And as a condition of us staying together, after I, I got out of hospital, I had to uh, make a few promises. And one, that I was going to aggressively and actively seek professional help. Two, was that I was going to seriously and sincerely work on uh, my coping skills and abilities. And then three was that I needed to explain to my entire family, my 10, my 11-year-old sons, and my wife and my daughters, why I did what I did. And so that's how it affected my family. It, 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 my wife is an amazing, amazing woman. And uh, the fact that we're still together, um, it surprises me. I, I don't know that I could put up with what she's put up with. She's endured a lot as people who suffer from mental illness. You know, we get so focused on our illness and what's going on, you don't consider the innocent bystanders, you know, your family and your friends and what they go through. Tim, you, you, you talk about how amazing your wife is and you talk about, you know, she mm -hmm. has endured a lot. Uh, another quality that makes her amazing is that she's honest with you. She, she, she confronted you on what happened. There was a, a courageous conversation that took place as a result of your suicide attempt. Do you remember that moment it happened in the hospital. I was going through the journal with her, and, you know, she was like, that's great. That's great. That's a bunch of words. Those are your plans. She goes, what about my plans? What about our plans? So she grabbed my journal, and she wrote our plans in the back of my journal. And she was like, this is what I need from you. Are you looking at your journal right now? I am. I carry it around. With, when I go to my therapist, if he says something poignant, that I think is going to help me. I write it down and I take notes. For example, we talk. We were talking about my wife and I arguing, and he says, uh, "Don't don't think about it as arguing." So when your wife comes at you, 
it's because she has an emotional need that is not being fulfilled. And when you argue back, you're being defensive. It is not your job to be defensive. It is not her job to be defensive. It is your job to be each other's number one support channel. And it is your job to listen to this emotional need, no matter what tone it's in, and fulfill that need. And so I came home, and my wife and I sat down, and, and we we wrote out what our, our emotional needs were and how we're going to fulfill those needs. And my wife and I have very open and honest communication about everything that goes on. You know, we come home from work every day. We have a cocktail. We catch up on our day. We turn on music, and we cook together every single night. You know, we're talking about the day, but we'll talk about other things. Like, for example, she asked how my day was, and I said, well, it was okay, but I had a bad nightmare last night. She asked what the nightmare was about, and I said, well, we've been arguing so much that um, my, night my nightmare was about losing you and divorcing. And so she said, you know, that's funny. She said, because I've been having those same thoughts. She said, is it better if we separated for a little while or got a divorce because we're creating a toxic environment for the household and for the children? Or is it better that we separated or got divorced because this environment is not good for you to heal? for you to get better and it's counter to your healing process. And so we talked about that. It's very calm, amicable, and honest communication. I just want to put a pause button here because I'm inspired by that conversation, the level of honesty, the calmness, the courageousness with which you guys are having this conversation. That's pretty incredible. Well, that's the reason why we're still together, I think. When you say that's the reason we're still together, is it because you have those kinds of uh, really open and honest conversations? We haven't forgotten that we're, that we're in love and that we we fell in love and we still do things. On Fridays and Saturdays sometimes, and I'll spin records for my wife and it'll be with candlelight and a bottle of wine. You know, we still dance around in the living room at night uh, after the kids go to bed. But the, the honest communication is, is huge as well. We value each other. We love each other. And what gets us through a lot of our hard times is when we said our vows, we meant them, and we held them closely. And to this day, we still do. Another thing that kept us together is that we accept our faults. Uh, I admitted to her that I don't know, that I can't discern between her tone and I get defensive and therefore I attack back. And she admitted that sometimes her tone is attacking. If, if you know, we're mad at the other person or so, something like that, we'll talk about it and then we'll accept it. We'll accept if we're to blame, we'll accept that blame. And then we let it go. We brush it away. We let it go and we move on. Does it vary who goes first in your relationship in terms of admitting fault? It does vary and it, it's, it's situational based. If it gets too much we'll say hey let's take a break time out uh it might be an hour it might be a night um, it could be a whole day you know there's that cooling off period so that we can speak about things rationally rather than trying to speak over each other at a high volume there's the old adage of don't go to bed angry and in your case actually that's not true there's sometimes it's good to have a cooling off period and if it lasts overnight so be it, at least you come back the next day and it sounds like you're much better. We used to try to live that mantra, um, but it's not reality. That's not reality. Real life is a lot different than those old adages. <laughs> yeah, so true. Arguments are good. Um, and the reason I say that is because sometimes that's the only way you can get your needs out there. 
and have the other person hear you. Do you ever talk to other guys who are struggling in their marriage where vets have PTSD or mental illness? A large portion of, of soldiers that suffer from PTSD and anxiety, their marriages don't last. And it's for a few reasons. Um, PTSD can get out of control. A lot of people turn to alcohol to self-medicate. Some of that rage and anger turns into physical, a physical manifestation. And I've kn- I know a lot of people who, who, you know, spouses who were abused and have ended their marriage. Um, and a lot of times it's also because the other person, the unaffected spouse, they don't understand the illness and how to work with the spouse that's suffering from the illness. Part of what you said right there is that it also helps educate the spouse on how to react and how to be with the person who's got PTSD. There's two things that is the first part of it is the person suffering from the mental illness has to a seek help. Uh, that's the, the biggest thing is, is you have to seek help because it doesn't go away and it's not going to get better. Once you seek help, you have to stick to the regimen of treatment, you know, medication as well as therapy. But aside from that, the person with the illness needs to understand the illness. So you, you need to research it. You need to understand what the what the symptoms are, what the side effects are, what the causes are even. What the, um, what the triggers but, are. Right. And then you have to communicate it with your spouse. And you have to let your spouse know what your triggers are and, and when you're uncomfortable. You know, for the longest time, I couldn't go out in public. It was very hard for me. Um, I would immediately have sensory overload. I would feel like I was having an out-of-body experience. I just wanted to get out of there. But now when we go out, um, I have to have a plan. I have to know where we're going, what we're going to do, and when we're going to come back. Uh, And if my wife starts noticing that I'm having trouble, she'll put her hands on my shoulders and ask me if we need to take a break, go somewhere and sit down for a little while. That's what I mean about the understanding. And then the spouse should do some research on it too. So they have a textbook knowledge of what's going on so that they can easily equate respond maybe and so that they can adjust to real life yeah there's an aspect there of really taking charge of your healing and for her taking charge of her own learning around how to be with you so how has the military responded to ptsd i know it's a fairly Uh, new diagnosis and that they haven't always been receptive to diagnosing PTSD, much less treating it. So I wrote a book called I'm Not Broken. Um, and I did a lot of study on uh, the military's approach to mental illness in general. Since 2009, the suicide rate has increased tremendously. 23.9% of 100,000 soldiers will attempt suicide. 22 will actually commit suicide every day. So it's broken, and it's time to wipe the board clean and start over, and it needs to be a top-down approach. So I was a company commander, and there was 36 other company commanders. We sat in a room doing an officer professional development um, session with our boss, who point-blank said mental illness is a weakness. It just is. Oh, my God. Suicide awareness training we get once a quarter. And it's great. It teaches you how to recognize signs 
how to stop them from committing suicide and, you know, talking to them, empathizing, empathizing with them and then getting them help. But it's backwards. I never, ever would have thought in my entire life that I would have taken my own life. Never. That thought never even came to my mind. I never researched it. I would say, God, I just want this anxiety to go away. If something would happen to me, I just, it would go away. If, you know, I was crossing an intersection and I got crushed by a truck, it would just all go away. The pain would end. If I just didn't wake up, it would all go away. What those are is passive suicidal thoughts. So suicide awareness should be more geared towards those that are having these thoughts and these issues so that they recognize the signs. Because had I recognized these signs being passive suicidal thoughts years before, I would have gotten help a lot sooner. Well, who's it geared towards now? It's geared towards um, the people around you to to recognize the signs of, of, of suicide. And so when I say recognize the signs, we're talking about outward signs, such as giving away things such as uh, um, reckless behavior. I see, as opposed to inward signs. I mean, I love that image of, I don't love it, but that your brain is actually building a blueprint for this kind of thing. And if you can recognize that, well, you can stop the, the building of it. There's a lot of things that need to change, and there's a huge outpush right now for breaking the stigma. The biggest message, message we can send is that we, we are not alone. Uh, we're not weak. We're not broken. We, we have an illness. We didn't want these illnesses, yeah. um, but we're still sick. What are the top five things people say about PTSD in the military culture? One is you're weak. What else do they say about it? Some people may, may say that, that it's not even real. But you're making things, it up. I think that there's sure. a lot of people that just don't talk about it uh, because they're ashamed or embarrassed or, or they don't want people to think differently of them. I see. And, and they don't want to lose their jobs. They don't want to be kicked out of the military for a mental illness. The importance of speaking out and telling the story is breaking stigma and raising awareness, even one person at a time. Have you ever had negative responses to you telling your story or, or being more and more a public face of PTSD and mental illness? The only negative response I've ever had was my wife t- telling me one time that I'm too wrapped up in, ang- in, in my, my mental illnesses. <laughs> and I should get another hobby. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it sounds like it's incredibly inspiring for you. I mean, it's helping in your healing. Yeah, it's helping me, and, it's, and more importantly, it's helping other people too. What are suggestions that you might have for couples to find help or to help themselves to have the confidence to bring it up, to talk about it, and to get help? The very first step is to, to get the courage uh, to seek help, and help is everywhere. Military especially, there are a lot of uh, government-funded organizations that will, uh, will provide you with free uh, therapy. Um, as far as couples go, you just need to talk um, and not be afraid to talk about the issues. I think that that's extremely important is, is both of you need to know what your illness looks like, what, what triggers it, how to respond to it, um, how to communicate about it, and again, do, do research. And it's not easy. You know, once a week, you've got to take an hour out of your day to go, you know, talk to somebody you barely know about these deep-seated, close-held uh, emotional issues. There's also the issue of being a man wrapped up in this and how men don't talk about their feelings. 
Well, it's, it's that and, and the fact that I was a, a senior in the Army. You know, a senior in the Army coming out saying, hey, I get a mental illness. Also, I committed suicide and I'm getting help. That speaks to the younger generations to say, okay, if this guy has got all this experience and holds a, a higher position in the military can do it, then I can do it. Thank you to Tim Hilke for his courage to share his story. To learn more about Tim's story and his advocacy work, visit unshakablethoughts.blogspot.com. Please visit our website for additional information and for resources about PTSD, suicide prevention, and support groups for spouses and families of veterans and much, much more. And also to join the conversation, please let us know your thoughts, ask questions, jump on in as we increase the dialogue here around all things intimate partnership. If you'd like to share your story, send us comments, or become a sponsor, visit us at elephanttalk.org. Join the conversation. Our producers are Lisa Gray and Kim Paletti. Our theme music is by Rob Berger. Audio production assistance provided by Leslie Gaston Bird and Josh Kern. If you'd like to share your story, send us comments, talk to us, visit us at elephanttalk.org. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. And also review the show because your feedback is incredibly important and it's greatly appreciated and it helps us get the word out there about Elephant Talk, the show. I'm your host, Andy Horning. This is real love. This is Elephant Talk.